Hello world, welcome back to Hopecast. This is a podcast on spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. This is Paul in London and I'm joined by my fabulous co-hosts from around the world. Matthew in London. Nick also here in London. And Oliver in Atlanta, Georgia, US. So Oliver, you're bringing our global perspective today. We're missing Yasser and Anders today. They're always here with us in spirit, but it's the four of us today. And we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff. We're so grateful to our listeners. Your feedback really does make such a difference to us. So please, when you leave us a review or a rating, five stars only, anything less is homophobic. Uh, But we love the comments that you give. Uh, Steve described our last episode on spirituality as the best to date. Thank you so much, Steve. John got in touch and he said that listening to our podcast reminded him that heterosexuality is not normal. It's just common. Love, And he said, we're all individuals with multiple overlapping identities and that we need confidence to know what's right for us. John said, I'm closer to that than I used to be, but still not quite there yet. Love your show. I think we can all relate to that. Um, Craig got in touch to say, not now Elaine is his new mantra. And I've heard that from a few other people as well. That's absolutely going to be our first bit of merchandise on a T-shirt. Uh, we had uh, a fantastic five-star review from a listener in South Africa uh, who said, thank you for giving voice to what I find so pressing, yet often unacknowledged. My gratitude for the light-hearted fun too, it uplifts my spirits. And another five-star review from a listener in the US who said, absolutely loving this new podcast, lovely depth and warmth, can't wait for more. And, uh, you know, some of us are known for our depth and warmth. Um, but it did it kind of raised a question for me, actually. How are you about receiving compliments? Because there's a bit of me, I, I'm so grateful and it's so beautiful to hear those comments. But sometimes they don't land as much as I want them to because I, I kind of almost want to just go, oh, yeah, well, that's that's happening some over there, somewhere else. How about you? How are you when you hear a compliment? Mm. I've really made it a practice to take in compliments um, because my tendency can be to push it away or just say, oh, no, it's it's nothing really. Or, or, you know, there's uh, that sense of self-deprecation that that can feel as if somehow it would be conceited to to take in a compliment. But some years back, I I had this realisation that actually a a compliment is like a a gift. You know, it is a gift, but in the form of words and you know, if someone came to my house and gave me a beautiful gift and then I thought, oh, well, really, no, I don't deserve this. And I put it in the bin or throw it out at the front door. <laughs> it's like it would really be really insulting and really lacking, you know, um, appreciation of the person. So um, a few things I've read have really talked about, you know, when when you have a compliment, when someone says something positive about you, notice the urge to maybe push it away or deny it or uh, minimize it in some way and then simply say thank you i i think i read somewhere or heard somewhere and i might be making this up but i'm sure i got this from barbara streisand not in person but through an interview because i remember her saying something very similar about just dismissing compliments and learning that actually it's quite disrespectful to the other person to immediately either make a joke or say, oh, no, 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 I'm not like that. Because actually they're offering something 
which is so kind that it's disrespectful to them and that helped me to feel a bit more comfortable about just saying thank you you don't have to kind of go into any detail but just to say thank you and even mm. if it feels uncomfortable or I want to do that immediate kind of pushback to think actually if I do that it's not okay for them and they're being so kind and so nice so thank you to the people who do give us those comments feedback um it's amazing and I'm going to do my best just to say thank you and I think as a podcast we are all incredibly grateful that people listen and that people then get in touch so I'm really happy because we've had another amazing question. We did tease it on the last episode. This is for our fab section, What Would Buddha Do? Where we look at your dilemmas and issues through the lens of Buddhism with our resident wise one, Nick. And today's question, as we mentioned in the last episode, comes from Craig, Queen of Fags, who we love, who says, I'm nearly 50 and I have no issues with turning 50. Or maybe I do. Does approaching these landmark ages sometimes quietly encourage us to make radical changes or choices we might not otherwise make? And is being gay somewhere in that mix too? What would Buddha do? So Nick, what's your take on that? Getting older, making choices, radical changes, what would Buddha do? Yeah, well thank you Craig, that was such a great question and um I turned 50 last year, so, uh, and obviously it was during the pandemic time, so it, it brought up that question of where am I now? And and also it not being possible to have any form of large celebration to mark what might be considered a, a landmark age and instead considering, well, who were six close friends I'd like to have on a picnic who all live within walking distance, <laughs> which the third challenge in London. From one perspective, uh, from the Buddhist perspective, you know, age is a is a relative thing. Um, there's this notion of um, people being old souls. And so you can have someone who is in their 20s, and actually is carrying a lot of uh, wisdom um that sense of of questioning and asking you know what's my purpose in life um how do i bring meaning to uh, my experience in the world you know they're already very in touch with that and you can have people who are in their 50s who are maybe only starting to question or maybe not yet uh, at the point where it's it's appropriate for them to start raising those questions there may be other life lessons uh, that they're still learning now the buddha was was rooted in a belief system which uh, was based on rebirth so in a sense you could say that uh, our age is, is almost immaterial because if we if we believe or perceive it from that perspective of rebirth, some of us will be very young in this lifetime. Some of us will have only, you know, had a few hundred thousand rebirths. <laughs> <laughs> some will have had millions and millions and millions of rebirths. Um, and, and, and each time we go through, each time consciousness goes through that process, it learns. Uh, 
So I think the Buddha would encourage us to simply look at, you know, what is our next footstep in the the Buddha's encouragement was always about how do I be present in this moment? So if I notice that I'm fifth, turning 50, if I label myself as someone who is turning 50, do I, do I use that to then look back and feel regret? You know, I'm 50 and what have I done with my life? Or where am I going? And then, you know, a lane kicks off. And of having a go and sort of saying like oh it's so useless it's like look you're 50 you haven't done anything with your life or or maybe there is a more subtle inner um dynamic which is just as harmful which is conceit and so we might look at ourselves and then be thinking like well yeah i'm really great aren't i i'm the best look at everything that i've done and from a Buddhist perspective, both conceit and uh, self-criticism are both harmful uh, because they they tie us to this mask of, of self. We're either flagellating ourselves by telling ourselves how bad we are or we're congratulating ourselves on how wonderful we are. But neither of those actually allow us to then free ourselves from the illusion of, of the ego, of the permanent self. And, and, and the Buddha, when he was teaching, his whole interest was in helping people to realize that they are something way, way more than the constructed ego self that, that I label as me, and that they're actually pure consciousness. And pure consciousness can never fail, because pure consciousness has never been born. You know, pure consciousness is outside of time and space, and it simply is. And so pure consciousness is, is our true nature. According to Buddhism, we, we are Buddha nature. Um, so there's always these two intertwining aspects um, to questions like this, because there's what the Buddha called relative truth and absolute truth. So I've just uh, sort of outlined absolute truth the that we are you know or from a buddhist perspective um we are pure consciousness playing at appearing in form and identifying as an ego um dreaming dreaming this life you know we are pure consciousness in a dream of being a self but then there's a relative truth and that's that's like when you're in a dream you really feel that what's happening in the dream is happening. And if someone's chasing you, you're scared. And if you find a, an amazing huge pink bubble bath bubbling away on the side of a mountain, you jump into it because you think, wow, this is wonderful. I found a pink bubble bath. <laughs> you don't sort of say, mm, well, this is only a dream and it's probably not really a bubble bath. It's only my mind creating it. You're like, no, yay, isn't this great? So on a relative level, yes, we can then consider, you know, well, here I am, I'm 50, um, am I happy? And, you know, whatever there is that's making me happy, whatever there is I've done in the last 50 years that has contributed to being happy, maybe I see I spend time with friends, I go dancing, I sing, you know, whatever the things are, it's like, great, well, let's make sure I incorporate more of that. 
and make time for that? Have I stopped making time for things that used to make me happy? You know, on a relative level, when I was in my 20s, did I do things that made me happy? And then I've got consumed by work and commitments and um, being a serious adult. And, and I've stopped making time for those things. So maybe turning 50 would be an opportunity to reflect, you know, other things that used to really sustain my sense of uh, well-being that I'm no longer doing. And Mike, I like to bring some of those back in. But then also, are there things that I'm doing that make me unhappy? You know, have I developed habit patterns um, which I see don't really bring me towards happiness? And so what could I do about that? You know, maybe I need... Now, I started seeing a therapist recently because I just realized that there were certain things in my pattern of, of behavior that really weren't serving me. And I wanted to have someone I could have a conversation with around those. Um, now, that's sort of relative self stuff, but it's sort of, you know, it's stuff that makes me feel unhappy. Um, and and I'm finding that cultivating a different way of being in relationship with another man through the therapy is, you know, is being really beneficial to exploring those dynamics. So maybe to summarize all of that, and, and this is a teaching of the Buddha, he, he did once say, you know, look at your actions and ask yourself, do these actions bring me closer to happiness? Or do they take me further away from happiness? And those actions which bring me closer to happiness, well, then I can do more of those. And those actions which take me further away from happiness, well, then I can reflect on what needs to change. Not a heavy, just stop doing it. You know, maybe we notice we drink too much. Maybe we've got some addictive behavior. And so then it's like, well, how do I bring compassion to that part of myself that for whatever reason has reached out for things which actually cause me suffering and how can I bring about change and love myself even more deeply for the next 50 years or however long it might be. Amazing. This is one of those moments where I'm so glad that we do this as a podcast because I just want to go back and listen to it already and think there were so many things that you said in there Nick that I, I that really kind of struck a chord in me and I just wonder for Matt and Oliver, like, do you feel, are your behaviours leading you in the direction of happiness where you are in your life right now? Um, personally, I think it's definitely something I'm very aware of. Um, am I cultivating the person I want to be and the life I want to live? Um, yeah, I read a quote somewhere recently that was, that was saying is, any action you do or anything you do is it bringing you inner peace if it's not then it's not serving you um which i've really quite kind of taken um yeah in in most things i do now um and it's it seems to be working yeah i think i'm i'm the same i think everything that i do is very intentional and um I only do things that make me happy or that bring me peace, I should say. I only do things that bring mm. me peace. Um, and I think when I was younger, I was just trying to recreate experiences. And 
when those experiences didn't pan out the way the previous experience went, then I was very unhappy. And um, uh, I think just living in peace and having my house be decorated in peace and just having people around me that bring me peace is the way that I try to go about life. Um, instead of having this, um, I guess what everybody else thinks that I should have at my age. Hmm. There is a pressure, isn't there, as gay men, because when we were talking about landmarks, it's like there's a comment about like, well, I haven't got a house and I don't have children. And, and <laughs> like, you know, and I thought, well, that's so true, isn't it? It's, it's, it? I mean, it's one reason why I think, you know, for me turning 50, I don't have a sense of age because I don't have anything external to myself I can reference myself against. I don't have a 10-year-old child. Obviously, you know, some gay friend of mine does have children. So that, that's changing for us. But a lot of us, we don't, you know, necessarily have those external references. Or um, So then it does become much more, yes, that question of, you know, what, you know, what is providing me with a sense of uh, resource or peace? well-being you don't have a 10 year old child that you know of so <laughs> <laughs> you get that knock at the door and so do you as you turned 50 did you ask yourself that question am i happy i guess it is a constant question really um a constant sense of sort of checking in um Because of the inner critic, it's you know it's it's more sometimes about countering the the, the negative narrative. If it's like, look at you, you haven't achieved anything, um, and this really caustic inner dialogue. I mean, unfortunately, in this lifetime, it seems you know very much what I'm working with is a, a sense of real sort of lack of self worth, and and sort of seeing through seeing through that. So probably if anything, when I turned 50, there was maybe a sort of sense of, in some sense, a sense of disappointment. But then um, I do remember there was a sense of excitement as well. And, and, and I sort of joke with friends about when I'm halfway now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do have that feeling that, you know, it would be nice to have another 50 years to see what another 50 years would be like and, and where I'd be at uh, at 100. And, and of our group, I think if anyone's going to make it to 100, I would put you at the top of that list. <laughs> I put myself at the bottom of the list and everyone else is probably around about 99. The, um, one of the things you said about rebirth, I found really interesting because on my lifeline, and we'll explain this in a little bit, I put rebirth at 41. And so when you said that, I felt something twang inside me. And so I thought, God, if I was to look at this, then it means I'm actually just six years old. And interestingly, my timeline goes from born, it, the next thing is six. The, so I just didn't really think of anything that happened between zero and six. And the thing that I wrote at six was, I remember this story, it's not even funny. I remember the story of having to go to hospital because I'd stuck a coat hanger in my eye and was kind of like dangling this coat hanger off oh. my face. I know. And that's the first thing that I put on my timeline. I know everyone's looking really queasy. 
<laughs> and so I've, yeah, I feel like I've kind of almost gone a bit full circle to, from being six to being six again. Mm. And it's making me think about this, this idea, and you know, particularly through heteronormative standards of, you know, grow up, go to school, leave school, get a job, get married, have children, get the house, all of that, or whatever order people do it in. And that your life is like this linear progression from from bad to good or from whatever to impressive. And actually mine is much more of a series. I, I've kind of drew the shape. That's handy for a podcast. I drew the shape and it's like this series of curves. It's almost like it's it's going in waves. And I think that's something that we have so much more, I want to say choice, but maybe it's not choice, but we have so many more opportunities as gay, bi, queer, trans people to not live that linear life. So the thing that I mentioned, this timeline, I asked everyone to do a bit of thinking because we were going to be talking about these milestone moments and getting older. And so I encourage people to draw a timeline of their life and just notice these kind of milestone moments, the things that stood out and what happened at what particular age. And as I mentioned, so mine starts with being born, then I have a coat hanger in my eye, and then there's a load of stuff. And then I got to 41 and I wrote rebirth. And then that last bit is just so full of really cool stuff. And I put the podcast as one of that. But just things like uh, feeling more confident and being much more kind of into culture and art and doing my doctorate and feeling a sense of growth and it's not all that that it's not that that all this good stuff or easy stuff it's just that it's so much more interesting than so much of the stuff I had before then which was much more superficial maybe more self-absorbed I don't know I definitely noticed that moment of rebirth at 41. How about for you? What came up in your timelines? Any, anyone else stick a coat hanger in their eye as a child? Well, I'm just sitting here looking at mine right now. And it's so interesting because I put like my age that I was doing stuff from one to 18. Mm. 18 is when I came out. And then on my timeline after 18, I put years. I didn't even notice that. Does that make sense? So I was putting my age before 18 and then I started doing years mm. afterwards. But I think that it was a pivotal moment in my life when I came out and everything that surrounded that, um, it really changed the trajectory of my life because I was no longer linear, like you say. Mm. It was more like a... Um, uh, understanding how my life flows now that I'm outside of this linear way of being. So I had to like re kind of like re reestablish who I was, what I was and what I wanted to do and all of that. It was a major change. I just thought that was interesting. Just looking at it mm. from this perspective. Did everyone have coming out on their milestones? Nodding. Mm. Yes, uh, yeah, mine was um, mine, mine was at 19 um, and it was like a, a watershed moment because, you know, before that I'd been telling myself, well, 
this is probably a phase, this is a fantasy, it's like probably the first time I'm with a man, I find that really, really, I don't like it. And then I just found, oh, I really like cog. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, after that, it was like, oh yeah, I want more of that. Thank you. Um, Finally, we've earned our explicit tag on iTunes. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> and that was 19. That was at 19. Um, but that was transformatory because I think, you know, before then I was just a, a white, relatively middle-class male um, growing up in uh, Cambridge in a very comfortable environment. And I think I could have quite easily probably been a reasonably decent liberal person, but not really had any major sense of you know, what it is to to um, experience prejudice. Um, but it was at the same time that I was cycling into Cambridge and um, two guys in a white van, sort of classic, um, you know, were pulled up beside me at some traffic lights and uh, insulted me for being gay. Wow. And I just suddenly thought, well, I'm just in a like a flannel linen jacket and some shorts you know how am I, what are they on a on a bike with a wicker basket there's nothing very unusual about me <laughs> and to be fair it is Cambridge basically I look like a student and I think actually they might have also just been wanting to insult me because there's a town and gown split and, and they may have thought I was a posh student and they were just going to use the worst insult they could but yeah and they were sort of um throwing these insults and i suddenly got this sense of like okay I'm, I'm never going to know what it's like to be black or you know a religious minority as such but i you know i do know what it's like to have people make assumptions that they know me based on their prejudice and that they they then project that onto me and they project their hatred of a group into me as an individual and that started a whole thing of feeling very impassioned about people um people's different people's rights and freedoms it's, i'm so interested that you you said it was the worst insult they had they didn't call you a murderer they didn't shout out and say killer you know it's interesting that even there there was something that was like oh maybe that was the worst thing you could have heard at that time Yes, yeah, it felt like that. Well, also it was the 80s and there was a lot about being gay and mm. and a lot of anti-gay rhetoric in the 80s. So, you know, it probably, but also, you know, and I'd had it at school being called gay as in the, in the queue waiting to go on the coach home. So there'd already, there was that drip, drip, drip of uh, negative messaging around, you know, being gay is not welcome here. So, Matt, Matt, when you were born, did you come out purse first? Like, did they just go, it's a drag queen? And everyone <laughs> was really happy. I wish. Um, no, I actually came out. Um, I came out to my friends uh, earlier than I did to my family. So it was kind of like a, a, a progressional um, coming out, I guess, with me. But similarly to Oliver, it was definitely the moment when all expectations and kind of things that were 
laid out for like what I was going to do with my life and and who I was going to be kind of went out the window and it was like what now and, and it was kind of that moment of getting to really rewrite my story and um, so that's a hugely pivotal moment in my milestones um which was when I was 20 actually so I was older than both Oliver and um Oliver and Nick interestingly but um yeah I think because of that progressional coming out it was kind of if I'd have done it in just one fell swoop it probably would have been um easier and quicker um but again that's my own I was obviously holding on to a lot of things and trying to um be be a certain person for for different people um and yeah I guess I guess coming out that that time to the family and stuff was just accepting that I could yeah rewrite my path and all those expectations of what my life may have been or or a heteronormative um model may be just went out the window and thank god (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why but it surprises me that you came out at 20 i thought it would have been earlier i guess maybe i just make assumptions and again this is you know the assumptions of a 47 year old man that it's just easier for younger people Mm. Yeah, I, I like hearing both of you um, say that you were like 18 and 19. I think, yeah, I guess that it was just the environment I was with. Um, I, I, all my friends knew at uni and stuff. I think I was just holding on to a lot of things of like family expectations. And that was my own, um, yeah, that was my own kind of uh, guardedness and kind of trying to control, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. I love I love hearing um, people's coming out stories because they're all so different and all have very re- different reactions. And um, yeah, no no coming out story is ever going to be the same. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, mine didn't have quite the same um, heroism to it, I guess. So I I came out when I was fifteen. Although I think I would rather say I was outed when I was 15 because my parents read my diary. And that was a shock for all of us because part of me thought, oh, I thought I was keeping this to myself. And obviously they didn't have any idea that that was going on. And I look back on it and I, I have such mixed feelings about it because on one hand, they did the work for me. So I didn't have to make that choice but also the choice wasn't mine to make. But I remember kind of being in this really conflicted place of being really angry and hurt that that sense of privacy was taken away and also embarrassed because, you know, I was 15. My diary was full of fantasies about having sex with George Michael, which, you know, nobody really wants that to (laughs) go out on a podcast. But it also... Um, it gave me freedom because then I remember thinking, okay, fine, I'll go and tell all my friends then. And, you know, my my mum wasn't the kind of person who would keep it to herself. She, I think the next day she had phoned everyone in the family to tell them. And actually I never had a single bad reaction from anyone in my family. So it's a, it's a weird experience, it's a weird story, because as I tell it, I think, ah, oh, at the time, it was both a relief and not a relief. When I was uh, like really young, and I, I didn't write this on my thing, because I always thought it was a bit insane, um, 
there was a bit of me that used to feel quite old. Like I remember thinking, <laughs> even as a child, oh, I'm such an old soul, which probably just means gay. But I, I also remember thinking that this, that life is just some kind of big experiment, like a big, this was pre-dating Truman Show. I used to think it was aliens and that we were all just in some kind of big experiment. And the only way that you would survive the experiment is to play the game. And that if you admitted it, then somehow it would all fall away. And I remember coming home and, and noticing my diary wasn't under my bed and going, oh, fuck. And I, I locked myself in the bathroom for a bit. And at that moment I said, OK, I think I'm done with this game now. Because I just didn't know what was going to happen. So, yeah, it's an odd experience. In one hand, on one hand, I think if I hadn't, if that hadn't happened, maybe I would have just left home and never come out. Or maybe that happening meant I could leave home at 17 and move to London and go, ta-da, here I am. <laughs> so it's a very different kind of coming out story. Well, mine was, mine was very similar. I was outed. Wow. Um, well, so I was in college and I, I already told my friends that I was gay and I was going to wait until the winter holiday to tell my dad. Um, because I couldn't tell him on the phone. Like whenever I thought I was going to tell him, I was like on my bed in the fetal position because I knew, <laughs> I knew he would disown me. I knew it. Wow. And um, at the time I was dating my first partner. And when we got home from, you know, collecting me from college and all that, he called my personal line and my dad picked up. And that's when my dad found out that I had a boyfriend and I had a boyfriend for over a year and he was way older. Like, so this was like a whole thing. And my dad was like, you got to go. Like literally the same day I can't come home from college. Next day I had to go. So it was um, when I said it changed everything, like the, the whole trajectory of my life being outed coming out um, was just a lot. It was just a lot happening. But like you said, there was a lot of freedom in that. Um, uh, because I had, I tied my, I tied myself in a knot tr trying to understand like what would happen. And it like, the, it just kind of happened and that was it. And you just kind of have to be resilient in that moment and move forward knowing that, okay, well, this was an abrupt end to a chapter of my life. Now I have to move forward. Um, so um, I wasn't depressed or anything about it. It was just like, okay, well, we are, I am where I am right now. So let's just keep moving forward. I think that's a, that happens with a lot of parts of my life. Like it just happens. It's like, okay, well, let's move on to the next part. That chapter has closed. What's your relationship with your dad like now, if he's still around? Um, it's a lot better. Um, but I, I've been in therapy for a while just to kind of deal with the, the traumatic experience that happened. And when I want to discuss the hurt that I have, he kind of has a wall up. So it's good. He acknowledges that I am gay and he acknowledges that that's not going to change. But at the same time, I think there was so much going on 
at the time that I came out, like my mom had just died a year before that. So we were both grieving at the time. So there's a lot of emotions wrapped up into that. But um, I'm, I'm hopeful that someday he will fully be okay with it and fully acknowledge his responsibility um, as to what happened when everything went down. What other milestones did people notice? Coming out is obviously a big one for all of us. Mm. And yeah, and actually, before the milestones bit, often when we have things like International Coming Out Day, I see people saying, "Oh, why have we got a coming out day? We don't, you know, wouldn't it be great if nobody ever had to come out?" And I'm not sure how I feel about that, because I think coming out is it is a milestone, and sometimes you have to do it to yourself you have to come out to yourself before you can come out to others or be outed to others and then yes. it, it kind of never stops you have to come out again and again and mm. again so i don't know what do you think do you, would you rather live in a world where no one ever has to come out or is is it actually a good thing i think there's one aspect of it that i really appreciate <clears throat> and maybe from each of us talking in that you know a lot of work in the men's movement is around the fact that, you know, we no longer have rites of passage um, and uh, and we don't have sort of elders that you know, guide us through that. So there's a, a plus and a minus here in that I feel that, you know, for all of us who have come out, we've actually gone through a rite of passage that maybe a lot of heterosexual men haven't experienced. You know, they haven't stood on their own ground and said, this is who I am, met a fear you know, the whole thing about a rite of passage was that it would be a ceremony where you'd meet something that made you feel fearful and you would see that I can meet this and I can survive it and I'm now a man. Uh, so when I'm to working with groups of gay men, gay, bi, trans men, I'll often say, you know, when I look at all of us, I see warriors. Because even if you haven't come out to anyone else in your life, you've come out to yourself. And that that takes bravery, you know, when you live in a world where you're being told that central part of yourself is wrong. It's so much easier to, you know, for all of us, we talk about coming out because actually part of the process is that we've actually come out to ourselves. And once we're at home in ourselves, even with the conflicted feelings around being gay or bi or, or trans, it's like then we're able to say to another, this is who I am. But what we don't have, and I think what maybe the next evolution within the gay community will be, the queer community, and maybe in a in a small way things like this podcast can, can be, is being the elders, having the elders who will assist others, just as there's the men's movement and, and you know, you can go to a men's camp and you can go through rituals and, you know, have uh, men helping to guide you through um, rituals of, you know, being here um you know, wouldn't it be great like my my nephew he came out at 16 uh and he came out because he knew that i was gay and he was able to question me and ask me things and ask me how i came out um and he didn't come out to me he, he wanted to talk to his father first but you know me being openly gay even though i was in robes and living in the monastery at the time but when i stayed with the family i'd talk about being gay because I felt that my nephew was and 
Um, and yeah, I think he, you know, he, that really helped him. So each of us that comes out, you know, in that small way where we're acting as a, a support for someone at work, for someone in the extended family who might, you know, be feeling alone. So Matt, how do you feel about being an elder at the age of 30? Like, have you, have you discovered things about yourself as you've come to that milestone? Like how, how you identify? Have you had to come out to yourself about that as well? Um, yeah, it's funny what Nick was saying actually about um, existing as elders and kind of be the vi visible representation for younger generations. We don't have like an, uh, an automatic uh, family that we inherit being queer and, and often we are born into heterosexual families so you don't have those elders to get that wisdom and that knowledge from um, and you've just reminded me of a really amazing part of the inheritance play which was on in London a few years ago and and it really struck, uh, struck a chord with me was this idea of we can we can and need to pass on on this knowledge and and power and wisdom by existing and sharing and um, supporting each other and i think it's something that's so necessary and i hope um that this podcast can be a part of that um there's also an lgbt community center which i'm um getting involved with which is being um set up in london which i'm so excited by for this very reason so that there's a space that's safe, that's sober, where people can connect with all ages. Um, there is so much value and um, wisdom to be shared. And I think it's it's a real shame at the moment that does seem a disconnect between different ages in the queer community. Um, you don't often get spaces where everyone can just have a conversation. So I think that's that's something that's super important. And that's why I love this group. We're all such a diverse um, age range um, from baby Anders, even though he's older than me. <laughs> um, and all of us, I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the most important thing for me is to be the visibility for younger people. Um, and that's something I've really realized in the last year. Uh, I, I need to be visible and stick around to for people to, ask those questions of to to be a positive role model like when i was growing up those those role models weren't there they weren't tangible and uh visible in the public eye it's it's changing a lot um with tv and film and um yeah it's amazing in the public eye there's so much more obviously people coming out and, and being represented but yeah just seeing and hearing people tell their stories um is is so powerful and i think it's really it's gonna it's gonna do amazing things for future lgbt kids from from young ages and it's it's so important before society starts um putting all the all the crap on them that they can see there's people like them and they're not alone because there's just there was um really heartbreaking story this week there was a kid who committed suicide um because he was being bullied for being gay. And I, I see these stories now so much, it literally breaks my heart every time. But in the last year, two years, I see these so often and it just, um, yeah, th that's that's one of my driving forces is to, to, to be there 
so that people can see us like we exist and there's there's a positive future um i think for a long time i kind of was a was very lost i didn't really see what kind of future i was gonna have i didn't know what a gay future or queer future meant um i didn't know what getting older was going to be like being queer um and i think coming from like a very heteronormative um family whilst like that my family the best like i i wasn't seeing myself represented and i obviously felt othered um so yeah that's i think that's why i'm now so passionate about doing the doing that work and and hopefully helping yeah younger people in the process because yeah there's there's way too many people just feeling so lost and helpless and i hate that um so anything yeah anything i can do in my short lifetime on this planet is if it can benefit people and i hope i mean this podcast could last however long but yeah even just one person it's it, that's that's the thing that's driving me right now is to stick around and uh, be that role model. And I don't want to put any more emotional labour on you, um, but one of the byproducts of you sticking around and doing that for younger people is that us fossils also see you and also take courage from you. And it's not that you need to do that for everyone, to everyone, but we see that. I see that. And so if your motivation is for those younger people to be able to see you and go, oh, you know, there is someone like me. For me, as someone who's a generation ahead, I have that same experience when I see you. And I have that same experience when I see Oliver and I have that same experience when I see Nick. There is something about you can't choose who you inspire. I think it's amazing that you're choosing to inspire. I think that's so powerful. But actually, you'll never know how many people you inspire because you inspire me when I see you, you know, in your Instagram videos and just how you show up. I think, oh, I'm so glad you are in the world. And and you, that that's a gift that you give. That That's super interesting about you don't know who you're going to inspire. I think this is also something the the whole not now lane kind of thing and just doing things and not trying not letting the sensor get you is you don't know what what kind of effect that's going to have on someone that reads um reads a piece of text or a poem or sees a piece of artwork that you do um i i really like that once once you've put that kind of gift or that message out to the world it's out there and it will it will um endure like it's it's been put in put in the world and yeah i can't remember where i was going with that <laughs> the, oh so no i do i do i um it's that whole um queer people being like cross cultural uh vehicles basically that we exist in all um religions in all ages in all everything queer people are like the the people who can bridge between all peoples and i think that's that's something that i've again realized in the last few years i think especially since starting therapy 
maybe our role or part of our gift is that we can bridge those gaps and, and kind of form bonds between people who previously would not have understood each other. Um, yeah. Are you saying we should all be whores? I'm fine with that if you are. <laughs> Go out there and spread the love. Absolutely. Spread it far and wide. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the title of the episode. <laughs> spread it far and wide. It's interesting that we've we've spent time doing our lifelines, our milestones, and actually we've gone barely past coming out. And I think that's really interesting. I, I know that coming out is one of those uh, rites of passage, as you said, Nick, but I think it's fascinating that we've all had such different experiences. You know, we've yet to hear from Anders and Yasser about their lifelines. Um, where do you think your lifeline will go next? Or where do you hope your lifeline will go next? So I noticed mine stopped at confidence. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting place. That's the last word I wrote. And it also, on, on my lifeline, rustling paper for the podcast, on my lifeline it kind of stopped, like I filled the page. And then I was really curious about the shape of it, and so I drew it out again. And then I thought, oh, I've only filled half a page. So I'm, I'm kind of with Nick there thinking about, well, maybe I'm sort of halfway through. So I don't know, what, what, what are your hopes for the next bit of your lifelines? I don't know if I quite have any goals or anything that I want to be at. Um, I think for, for me, what triggered like a spiritual awakening was buying a house. And I know that sounds really crazy, but it was a big goal that I, that I had in my life. And when I got my house and like I achieved that goal, I went to like a major depression mm. um, because I thought like something would come from that and like nothing happened. There was like no fanfare. There was like, you know, I was, I was ready for some confetti girl. I was like, I was waiting, like, where's the party <laughs> at? Like, where's the parade? And there was just nothing. And it, um, that started, that really started my journey in meditation and um, just doing things that bring me peace. And I think one of the major reasons why I wanted a house, because all my friends had houses and they, most of them had kids and everything by then. And some of them were on their second house. And I just kind of felt, um, you know, left behind, but it was the, it drove me to really doing a deep dive in my life and understanding, um, I did this milestone in another group, in my journaling group. And I was able to tie together some things, why things happened and what I ignored in the past. Instead of dealing with it, I kind of ignored it and then it just kind of exploded. So I think moving forward, I just want to be completely authentic. And when things arise, I want to address them then um, so that I'm always in peace. I don't, I hate having to feel like I have to carry this weight, this dead weight around. And I just want to express myself and be truly authentic, being okay with being 
you know, just flamboyant all the time, honey, just like being myself all the time. And that's, that's it. I just want to be at peace. And whatever comes from that is great, but I don't really have a destination right now. And if peace is the destination, I think that's incredible. When you said it earlier about is what I'm doing bringing me peace, I thought that was such a a fantastic way of looking at it rather than is what I'm doing, you know, making me rich or is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. making me more attractive or whatever the kind of things that people might use as benchmarks. I think peace is such a beautiful one. Mm. What about you, Nick? What do you, when you look back at a hundred, what do you want to think about this second half of your life? Mm. Uh, I think definitely a sense of being more uh, more connected to the playful. Um, I was thinking recently, because I, I just got bought a couple of records from a second-hand shop um, that I used to have when I was a, a, a boy. Um, there's the boyfriend and the sound of music um which both musicals i used to watch and and we had a radiogram uh in the sitting room which uh, uh some people will understand what that is <laughs> like, it, it I'm, a, I'm kind of pretending to and going ha 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 of course there's a radiogram <laughs> because you're only like two years older than me it's not like it's from a completely different planet <laughs> It was this huge piece of furniture, which was a combination of a, a radio and a record player um, that was about six foot long. Um, so going and putting a record on always felt like a ritual. Um, <laughs> and then I would just dance. And and I'd sort of spent hours just putting on different bits of music, ABBA predominantly. I, I think there, there were a few plumes. <laughs> Even as a child, and I'd just be dancing away to ABBA and these different things. And I, so I guess one sense is like, I would like to connect more with that child. You know, I, I think that child went a bit underground during the teenage years where everything became a bit frightening. And like Oliver was talking about, I think, being um, authentic or, you know, being his own sort of really being really present in himself. And, um, and I know what happened for me in my teenage years was that I put on this mask and I didn't even know the role I was trying to play, but I was trying to be you know, someone that wouldn't be seen to be gay. Um, and then I emerged from that, you know, when I came out, but there is maybe something like a lot of my years in the monastery and meditation, it's all been very serious and very, very intense and sort of very much on Certainly, the early in my twenties, it was all about let's get enlightened and you know not have any more rebirths. Almost starving myself to death in order to try and achieve that. Um, uh, So yeah, I I can see as I go into my fifties, it's going to be maybe more something around how I bring kindness to my body, how I bring more playfulness in. um, How I how I sort of genuinely maybe look to serve um you know so so the work that i'm doing it's like part of my my negative critic is that it keeps me very limited in 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 how i then expand the work that i do and teaching mindfulness and different workshops and i you know i could almost turn that around and say well actually that's a little bit selfish (laughs) because it's like people would benefit if i was actually 
doing that. Um, it'd be like if if Matt were just singing into his mirror and holding a a, a comb <laughs> in his room, but no one was actually <laughs> like you know there's there was no audience there. He'd be expressing himself and he'd be connecting to something, but actually you know the only thing he'd be inspiring would be the the reflection in the mirror um so there's definitely something about yeah stepping more into a place of feeling more grounded more present more confident in myself more able to uh challenge the the, the critic how about you matt at your tender age of 30 what do you think would be your next milestone about a, like a specific thing that's going to be a milestone but like um nick said about like the playfulness and i think just trusting trusting my instincts and really following my heart um as oliver was also saying about being following things that are authentic to you and not what's expected or what you what you think is what other people want you to do i think that's something which is which is now an ongoing thing for me it's not like a destination but it's a con uh, a continuation it's like it's like a regular thing rather than an end goal um yeah i mean i've got lots of plans i'm um i've just finished doing um a book called the artist's way um, which has kind of got me to think a lot more broadly about like future goals and ambitions and dream big. So there's a lot of things I, I want to, to do and accomplish. And, um, but generally it's, it's following my heart and like doing stuff that's gonna inspire other people. That's gonna like, yeah, help the community. That's gonna do good. That's what, mm -hmm. that's, that's the, that's the goal doing good and sharing the love spreading it around um i i feel i mean this has been it's always so nice to talk to all of you but it's been i think really powerful for me today to think about this notion of rebirth and suddenly being six years old again because when i look at my lifeline it's like born coat hanger in the eye and then the next thing is 11 years old and i think well what happened in that time and just listening to you there, it reminds me of this really beautiful quote that I love from Martha Graham, who's the dancer and the dance teacher. And I'll read it to you. It's a little bit long, but I just think it really sums up what we've been talking about today. And she said, there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that's translated through you into action. And there is only one of you in all time. This expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It's not your business to determine how good it is, not how it compares with other expression. It's your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction whatever at any time. There is only a queer, divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. So thank you for reminding me of that.
it feels like it's something I need to print out and look at it and go, yeah, keep marching. I think that um, I think that quote was in The Artist's Way, actually. And was it's, it? It's something that also really stood out for me. So that's really funny that you've, uh, you've brought that up. Oh, cool. I haven't read The Artist's Way. It's one of those things that's been on my Amazon wish list for a long time. Maybe now it's time for me to actually dive in and get it. Yeah, I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend it's yeah, brought around some very positive changes and yeah, just addressing things that you've, uh, well, I've kept um, on the back burner for a long time. So yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone. Any other reflections from anyone before Oliver takes us into a meditation? What's today meant for you? It's useful to to have that reminder that, um, or a reminder to myself that, you know, it's always about taking a step from from this place here. So, you know, not comparing myself to someone else or or comparing myself to my idea of where I should be at this point. which can then paralyze me and actually taking the next step because then I'm saying, well, by now I should be this. Um, uh, and instead really celebrating that, you know, well, this is, this is how this life force is manifesting in this moment. And you know, how do I um, nurture that flame and, and, and allow it to uh, continue burning bright? I think um, something that you said earlier, Paul, about you don't know who um, who you're going to inspire is definitely something that's that's going to stay with me today. Um, and it, again, just goes with um, this idea of really going for your dreams and um, yes, sticking around. Do your do your thing and keep keep on keeping on because you don't know who who you might positively impact in this world um and you may never know but everyone has everyone has that journey and i think everyone can teach people something because we are all like as that quote just um emphasized we've all we've all got our own uniqueness um and story to tell I think my hairline and my gray hair inspires me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've, I've earned these gray hairs and I've earned, you know, just going bald. And um, I think I used to be really self-conscious about both of them, but it's just a reminder of um, how my experiences made me and they created me and shaped me. Um, And I'm just truly grateful for, you know, for the aging process. And the fact that I don't have a whole lot of wrinkles right now at 39. So we're just going to, you know, we're just going to flow with not having to do Botox for a hot minute. I'm good with that. We'll have an episode on that. And also two words, Oliver, gray pubes. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave um, yeah, there's that too, but not a full, yeah. <laughs> You have so much to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) 
Uh, would you like to take us into a few minutes of meditation? Let's go ahead and um, find our posture of peace this morning, whether that's sitting in a chair or lying down, or if you're driving, listening to us. Just begin to focus on each inhale and each exhale. Let's begin to take note of our posture. Resting firmly in your chair, if you're sitting, taking notice of how your back touches the back of your bed or the top of your bed. Allowing your spine to completely connect with your hip. Taking a few moments to become comfortable in this moment. And for this intention today, for this meditation, let's take a few moments to celebrate your life, your experiences, all of your milestones. And being grateful for it all, for all the good and the bad. For all of the things, all of those things that have shaped you all of those things that have brought you happiness. All of those things that have reinvigorated you. And let's approach them with a full heart. Take a deep breath in. And release. Again. Last time. Gently reconnect to your breath. And just for a moment or two, I'd like to ask you to bring your right hand 
up to the middle of your chest, just right in the center. Releasing any tension in your shoulder of your right arm. Releasing tension in your bicep and your forearm, forearm, and just allowing your hand to gently rest right in the center of your chest. And right where your right hand is touching, just imagine this heart space as the center of your experiences all of the joy and the pain, all the happiness and sadness. Stored right here. Begin to connect with gratitude for this space. Allowing whatever emotion that you feel right now to take shape. And for a brief moment, bring focus to this area where your hand rests and just say, thank you. Just whisper, thank you. Take a deep breath in. Release. Again. One last time.
Gently reconnect to your breath. Rest in this gratefulness, this gratitude. Carry it with you throughout your day, throughout these upcoming months and these days, and throughout the remainder of your years, holding gratitude for all of the experiences that you've had. Release your hand from your chest. And when you're ready to come back to the room, allow yourself to open your eyes, coming back to this moment, Thank you, Oliver. That was not just a beautiful meditation, it was also a really powerful somatic experience. In, um, in some of the somatic coaching work that I do, there's this sense, there's a concept of the felt sense, which is when you tune into something in your body and make contact with it. And I think you, you absolutely helped me make contact with my heart. And then what happens when something uh, meaningful takes place as you get a felt shift, which is where something has resolved itself or moved itself. And I, I want to give it some more thought, but something about our conversation today and the sense I've been making and that meditation, I, I had some kind of felt shift, something moved. So thank, thank you, Oliver, for that. But thank all of you for sharing those stories. This is we we have only just started on our Hopecast lifeline. We have lots more to do. Where can people find you? Where can people see you? Anything that you want to plug in terms of any any upcoming shows that people might want to come along to? Matt, you're on mute. Oh, sorry, my bad. Um, yeah, my Instagram handle is at Ella Varide, and that's E-L-L-A-V-E-R-Y-D-E. -E. Um, I have a show coming up on the 11th of June at West Five Bar in Ealing. Um, tickets are on Out Savvy if you want to come. It's going to be fun. I've got a few other of my drag friends performing. Um, and yeah, there'll be more coming up in June. I'll keep you all posted. For your shows, we could do like a Hopecast meetup. We could get, get our listeners along. Oh my God, that'd be so fun. That'd be amazing. <laughs> and you know, people do um, quite regularly now take the piss out of me for not understanding your drag name because everyone's like, how could you not see what it was? What was wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah, so um, people can connect with me either if you Google Gay Meditation London, that actually brings up um, my website quite quickly. Um, or on uh, Instagram, it's evolving underscore minds with an S underscore UK. Thank you, Nick. And as someone who comes to your morning meditation sessions on YouTube, I recommend them highly. So thank you for doing those. Thank you. Yeah, we're actually on YouTube. Yes, if you look up evolving minds UK, I think again, you find my channel there. 
Um, you all can find me at Amaris Vitae. That's M A, or sorry, A M A R I S V I T A E, and that's across all social media platforms. And recently, I've been doing some Reiki and meditation combinations. So if you're into that, um, feel free to tune in. Um, I go live on my Facebook and my YouTube page, but um, I post the Instagram. Um, recordings of that later on in the day. But if you're interested in that, feel free to um, follow. Thanks, Oliver. And all of our Instagram handles are in our show notes, which you can look at, click on and uh, follow us all. We'll follow you back, we promise. Thank you again for tuning in to Hopecast. We really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Remember to leave us your five-star reviews. Anything less is homophobic. You can follow us on all of our socials at Hopecast Podcast. You can be part of our House of Hopecast by commenting, emailing. Uh, if you have a dilemma, you can email it to wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com. Tune into our next extra cast where we're going to be catching up with Anders and talking about his lifeline. And just as a tease for our next What Would Buddha Do, we have an incredible question from Joe, which is talking about finding meaning in your work. So look forward to that in our next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in.